Hi, guys. Hello. Welcome back to Almost 30 Podcast. <laughs> so glad you're here. If you're new to the podcast, uh, I am Lindsay Simsek and my co-host Krista Williams is here. We are having conversations weekly, twice weekly, um, about anything and everything that, you know, could help you through any sort of transition in your life. We have really funny, honest, uh, thoughtful, curious conversations about health and wellness and spirituality, uh, entrepreneurship, sexuality, social issues. We, we cover it all. So we're really happy you're here. Yeah. We don't know. We don't have the answers, but we try to bring on people that do. Yeah. We're learning right along with you. So here we are. Here we are. What do you learn right now? (laughs) Right now? mm, I don't know. I'm in such a you know, I guess I'm in such a doing phase, but I'm just trying to mm-hmm. talk to myself more and to one thing that I've been actually really doing a lot is talking to my body and like telling my body it's safe. Mm. I think we it's great. We maybe had a conversation with someone a while ago and she mentioned something about that. And that really resonated with me. You know, if you're someone that has went through a period of overexercising, um, too much stress maybe under eating, overeating, uh, not eating nutritiously, not sleeping, drug binges, drinking a lot. You know, there's a lot of periods in time in your life when you probably disrespected your body. There definitely like has been Escaped coming. your body. Escaped your body, yeah. abused your body, not been kind to your body. And in a way I've been thinking about how that potentially could disconnect me from my body and my spirit. And I've been thinking so much lately about how much more, and I think a lot of people are this way, we use our brains than our body and our spirit. I definitely am that person. You know, my using my brain so much has helped me to become successful, you know, in certain areas of my life, you know, for at a point, whatever, not saying, mm-hmm. but it also just runs the show and a lot more, it should be more of our body and our spirit that is running the show. Yeah. So by telling myself, you know, my body that I am safe, it's like gone through so many years of not being safe, of being too stressed out, of being worried that I'm going to push it too far or worried that I'm going to hate it or talk poorly to it or say mean things or, you know, whatever it is. And now just telling it like, okay, you're safe with me. Like, I respect you. I love you. You're safe with me. Like, I respect you. I love you. You're safe with me has been really nice. And I'm just trying to continue to practice that, you know, from a spiritual perspective so that no matter what my body knows that, you know, like I got its back. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Um, And it's like with you always, Uh you know, it's like, that's the one thing you know, we can like kind of seek a lot of things, but like your body has been with you the whole time and and to respect it as kind of the carrier of your soul and your heart and like all of that. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's weird to think about. It's like, if you think about your family or, you know, a friend that you've had for a long time, mm-hmm. it's like, they've been there through it all. It's like your body has been there through it Truly. all. You know, your body is listening to you and has been listening to you since you were very, very little mm. and has been working hard for you, adjusting to everything that you've been doing. That's a huge thing too about the body is that we do all of these things, you know, with our lives and the stressors and the pollutants and 
um, and our body just adjusts. It figures out, you know, it figures out a way to get better and to feel better and to work with the situations that we put it in so much. And, you know, we never really give it credit. The body knows how to heal. You know, the body is like confused when you're doing things to kill it unintentionally. Yeah. You know, like drinking, like doing drugs, like doing, you know, whatever it is, like the body's like, huh? Yeah. Like it knows how to heal and it's the allowing of the healing. I think that a lot of people struggle with. Um, Ruthie Lindsay, like remind, you know, I just having a conversation with her a few weeks back, it's like she, she came back to her body and she's just like, I love love you body. Like, you know, like her, like the way she spoke, like mm-hmm. I've, I really felt her love for her body. And I was like, wow, like that. I really felt that. And just when you were saying that, I really felt that. And that's, it's just such a good reminder for me, for everyone out there. Like we just, it's not taking it for granted. It's just like, we forget yeah. too, you know, we we're so disconnected from that. We just, you know, it's always there. So it's like, a, yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes I have to like look down. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Like literally, I look down at my legs. I'm like, oh yeah, legs. Mm-hmm. Like, oh God, I have thighs. Yeah. You know, like it's, you. I even forget looking at my hands, looking at my arms. Yeah. That there is a body, you know, even it's weird sometimes with my face. Like if I'll have makeup on or something like that and someone will comment about it. I'm like, oh my God, there's a face. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I'm like, what do you mean? You know, because I'm always looking out of my eyes. Yes. I never am thinking about what someone's looking at. Mm-hmm. I'm never like, are they looking at my arms? Are they looking at my whatever? Because I'm so mm-hmm. not focused on that. Yeah. The Looking in the mirror thing has been interesting lately where I'm like, I'm just remembering what I used to think when I looked in the mirror. Like it's so much better now is the long story short of it. But- meaning just my self-talk is so much better. Like I used to look in the mirror and like peel back my thighs and see what it would look like if I just had like a few inches less, Mm -hmm. like some fucked up shit like that. And, but I know we've all done something like that where we kind of like pinch our waist and we're like, what would that be like? And, and, you know, I just look in the mirror now and it's just a lot of, of, I think it's post soul cycle has really like kind of helped me to do that where it's like, thank you so much for being there for me during those four and a half years where I was literally pushing you so hard. And now you're just like relaxing so nicely. And like, you're, I know you're so happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and like looking at my legs and just being like you, the way you are now, I just like, I, I love you no matter what, like, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. The shift is really interesting. Yeah. It's very spiritual. Mm-hmm. And Truly. that's why this week it's awesome to have, you know, Ruby Warrington on yeah. to talk about drinking mm-hmm. with Sober Curious. Yeah. Um, this book is amazing. And, you know, I just feel like I align to a lot of what Ruby says. Mm-hmm. You guys may know um, or may not. I, I don't know my, how much I talk about it, but I don't drink really. I can't remember the last time I had a drink. Maybe I had a glass of wine six months ago. Maybe I'll have five glasses of wine a year. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I haven't drank since I moved to New York. I think when I moved to New York is kind of when I stopped drinking. Um, I didn't really find a need for it. I was kind of out of, you know, Chicago where I was drinking more regularly, but when I would drink, I would definitely drink to blackout or get drunk. It wasn't, 
maybe it was once a week, maybe it was once every two weeks, but I never, you know, felt like I really enjoyed being drunk. I enjoyed being with my friends. I enjoyed laughing. I enjoyed uh, what we would do. And like, you know, it's really like the morning after when we would laugh about shit that we would do. Mm -hmm. That was like my favorite part, Mm -hmm. kind of like the consciousness of us the night before and like laughing at what we would do, laughing at, you know, things that people said or something like that. And I just kind of slowly stopped drinking in New York and then now just basically haven't. So it's been like six years or something. And it has been a very beautiful experience in something that has hugely impacted my sense of self, my sense of my spirit, my sense of my body, my health in so many ways. You know, my um, physical body and my clarity of thought are so much better. I feel so much less anxious. I saved a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just been such an amazing experience for me and has really propelled my personal growth. Yeah. Um, I was talking to my one of my best friends, um, Maddie, the other day. He's back in New York. And we've been friends since like sixth grade. And um, I was talking to him just about, um, you know, kind of just like how I've been feeling lately around that around drinking, especially as it pertains to dating and how it's just really like um, opened up my eyes to like habits that I had around getting to know people and defaults that I would, you know, kind of default to. Um, And it's been really beautiful. And he was saying, he's like, you know, Lynn's like, I don't, he's like, I don't really drink. And we used to live together and we would have like, you know, a big bottle of wine between us. And he's like, I it's just not me. He's like, anytime I'm drinking, I just, one, I feel like shit. And two, like it is, you know, it is a trigger for a lot of things, like anything that's unresolved. And I say this because everyone has things that are kind of deep in their subconscious and unresolved. And that's kind of why life is beautiful. Cause we can, you know, kind of unwrap those and, and, all, and heal. Um, but the drinking brings them up and magnifies them in a way that is so irrational and painful. You know, it's not clarity of thought. It's like so ooh, distorted. So, and that's what I would find, you know, that's what he was finding. Like it just did not serve him um, on his way to like healing just parts of his life that he's looking to do as he gets older. And I just felt the same way. And, you know, I still drink every once in a while. It's it's definitely not what it used to be. I was a bartender. I would have seven, eight shots behind the bar while I was drinking and not feel a thing. And, you know, be feeding people tons of alcohol because they asked for it, obviously, but just around that culture. And, you know, it was quote unquote fun. And it was like, you know, loosey goosey and, you know, um, but what's been really fun is just being myself, not like sober. <laughs> Cause I would kind of default to being quote unquote myself and silly and, and weird and loosey goosey when I was drinking. And so, you know, to be able to do that when you're sober and to really receive the reactions from people sober is so fun and gratifying. And like, that's how you build connection you know, cause I was like building false connections when I was drinking, especially on dates. I'm like, mm. and I've talked about this. I'm like, I, I like him now, like after mm-hmm. a few glasses. And so, yeah, it's been, and, and as we've, you know, just done the work, 
you know, through the podcast and just the people that we've met and, you know, healings and just diving deeper, there's no fucking way that we're, I'm able to do this work if I'm drinking on a regular basis, you know? So yeah. um, no shade, no hate to yes. any, you know what I mean? It's, this is not what it's about. It's just like these particular choices that are helping us as individuals, like really go deeper and just being a little bit more uh, thoughtful about that. Yeah. I Oh, and too, just from, from my perspective personally, I never liked, I always just kind of, I never liked how it slowed everything down, how people talked slower, they moved slower, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it just, it's such a depressant and a downer. And mm. I never liked that. And I always think about that now with your energy and your spiritual energy, like it's a great way to disconnect from your body because you're you know, you can't really move as well. You don't really know what your body is doing. It's almost like you check out, you know, I, I never understood that too. It's like you go out for the night and if you drink enough and you kind of are blacked out or drunk, it's like, you're not even there. So it's almost like time traveling because you're not necessarily there. And then the next day happens. And I don't know, I guess it's, it is escapism and a way to get out of your life, but being involved and present in your mm -hmm. life, if it's hard. Is, yeah, that's where the work is, you know, figuring out how to make it more manageable. And I notice myself, and I'll just say this because I know maybe some of you can relate, but like I notice myself kind of having trouble, like, you know, my parents were in town and, you know, we're sitting down eating, drinking as a family and it's whatever. Like I, I, I'm not saying don't do that, but I went into it feeling like I'm not going to drink. And then I, you know, had like a drink or two drinks max. But even so, even so I'm like, I'm drinking because I don't want them to feel bad. Yeah. You know, it's like this weird thing. So yeah. I'm sure a lot of you out there can relate like where you make a health conscious decision and then maybe you don't honor it because other people feel uncomfortable or you don't want them to feel judge you or judge themselves. And I'm, I'm kind of struggling with that. So like, I'm not actually, I haven't really mastered that yet, but um, that's really hard. That's re it's really hard. It was helpful for me to be out of Ohio, yes, know, Chicago, and in New York. I was so Justin, and I was so focused on trying to be a Soul Cycle instructor. Mm -hmm. So everything that I was doing was conducive to not being able to drink. And I kind of put myself in situations and hung out with people solo in situations where people weren't drinking. Mm -hmm. So that was something too that really helped. And then in LA, it was just like. Nah. Yeah. You know, everyone that I hang out with and everything that I do is so work related and And also LA, like Yeah. You meet someone who's sober like every other step, which is so beautiful. And like, but it, it's not like people aren't gonna turn to be like, you're not drinking. Yeah. Like they're like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't care. But for a while I would do like the vod the not vodka. I just do soda water with yeah. lime. I yeah. was doing that. Mm -hmm. Um and then dude, your skin, skin game. Skin. Skin on fleek when I stopped drinking. Mm -hmm. My skin would be so much drier, more ruddy. Their liver is bright. working so yeah. freaking hard. Yeah. You know, and it's going to come out in your skin. So yeah. I definitely, no, I was having different breakouts when I was drinking. I was having breakouts that were like kind of higher around my mouth and on my forehead, which was interesting. Um, But yeah. It's, I completely agree. Yeah. Completely agree. 
and you know, no judgment, of course, like you might see Lindsay and I out with some wine. Thrive Markets are our, our wine partner, but mm-hmm. you know, I just wanted to talk about my experiences. Like, even if you quit drinking for a month or something like that, it can be just a very spiritual, beautiful experience. Yes. Um, as a last thing, I have a friend who just got pregnant. I'm very happy for her. Mm. And since she hasn't been drinking, she was someone that was the best drunk. I used to be sober around her, and she'd be drunk, and I would have the best time because she's she's the best person sober, but even when she was drunk, she was fun and light and she just could hang and mm-hmm. she just could handle it. And she, her family did it and everyone drinks. And it was like a really positive force in their life from, you know, an outsider's perspective. I don't know if that's the case inside, but it always seemed like that. And she stopped drinking because she's pregnant. And she's been saying like, my anxiety is almost gone. She's like, yeah, I feel truly. so much better. I was always so anxious. I was always so tired. And now I'm just sleeping like a baby and it feels amazing mm-hmm. to be. She's like, I totally get what you were talking about. It's like, welcome. Oh, yeah. Completely. So this episode with Ruby Warrington is going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, coming from a non-judgmental perspective, we are talking about Sober Curious. We mm-hmm. are talking about Ruby's book where she um, begs the question for her listeners to explore the topic of being sober or sober curious, mm-hmm. drinking less, having more mindful meetups, doing more mindful, conscious activities and gatherings with friends and just really thinking about what alcohol does to you, what's the role it plays in your life and what effect it has on you mentally, physically, and emotionally. Yeah. And she's just super honest and sweet and kind of transparent about what she's still kind of working through. So we know you'll relate. Um, Her book again is Sober Curious and you can get it anywhere books are sold. Um, And we love you, Ruby. So thank you. Yeah. And if you haven't joined the secret Facebook group, I'm sure we will have a discussion in there about this episode and so much more. So join there, subscribe, rate, and review. If you're called to, we love that. And we read every one of them. Um, And we'll see you on the road this year. We're going out on tour. Yes. Almost30podcast.com for tour dates. Come see us in your city. We have awesome workshops, Reiki healing, sound bath, discussions, honest connections with others that are just as awesome as you and we would love to see you. Yeah. All right. Enjoy this one. Enjoy. I've been thinking about my next solo episode for the podcast Mm. and I was thinking about doing sobriety because a lot of people always ask about it, about me not drinking and stuff like that. So I didn't know you don't drink. Yeah. So it was like perfect. I was like, oh, this well then you came on and we were going to talk about this. I'm like, oh, this is perfect. Yes. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to hear about that. Yes. So yes. happy to Here we are. <laughs> we loved doing our event with you yeah. last it year. It was the best. You it were was so like, powerful. So powerful. It was like, I was crying. Out. I was crying right away. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this is like what it's about. Yeah. I really, really loved it. You guys have a great crowd. It was awesome. They are yeah. so special and mm. like make our guests feel so special mm. and I forget that they like, I mean, we hold the space, right? But like they hold the space for yeah. our guests too That's to come in. True. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the fact that you felt comfortable enough mm. to open up and, and be vulnerable like that was just a testament to them too. Yeah, exactly. we should, and so you. we should lay the foundation for yes. like what happened for our guests who are listening. And I'm looking at the rainbow in my water, which means my angels are here. Here they are. <laughs> it's caught my eye. Um, but we had our event last year with Ruby and Alexandra. I forget what it was about. 
um moon like cycles moon yes. cycles. Is it about moon sign astrology alexandra and i run moon club together yeah. so if, when we do stuff together we generally talk about mama moon mm-hmm. yes and it was <laughs> the crowd was amazing it was beautiful it was in brooklyn and when you got up and spoke you know you are so powerful and you're such a voice for um our generation with all of your work but you kind of were nervous mm-hmm. and you got stage fright and you know i guess you can tell it from your perspective but it was just a really beautiful authentic emotional, vulnerable moment that, you know, really gave our community permission and to understand that you are human, you know, even if you are an author and you have all of these um, accolades that you still can feel a little bit of nerves when you're getting in front of a room or in front of women. And it was just such a, it laid the foundation for our community to feel more connected to you and feel more connected to one another because it was such a human moment. Yeah, totally. And I guess I talk about that specifically when talking about moon signs and like moon sign astrology, because the moon really represents our emotional side. It represents Mm -hmm. our feelings, our softness, our tenderness and our vulnerability to an extent. And so setting it up by going, hey, guys, this is how I feel. And I like honestly... I didn't realize until I had my first book out that being an author meant being a speaker too. And then I certainly didn't realize I hadn't, cause I hadn't ever been in that position before. I didn't realize how much fear I had around speaking. And it's very common, right? Actually, I Googled it just the other day. Like public speaking is like the number one phobia or fear in America. But when you think of all the things there are to be frightened of, so true. says an awful lot about how, yeah. what it's, it's to me, it really speaks to kind of like, what are we actually so afraid of? We're so afraid of being judged, so afraid of being ostracized, so afraid of being humiliated, so afraid of being cast out, um, and so afraid of perhaps even being, um, uh, what's the word? Um, sorry, my mind's slowly blanking. No. <laughs> so afraid of being um, shamed, I suppose, for saying the wrong thing, right? For getting it wrong, for saying something that makes us look stupid or that makes other people upset or all of these things. And it's really made me think how the fact that so many of us are afraid of these things, um, it's really, we all need to actually really get used to stepping up so much more. I think it's, we're living in a really interesting time when so many people, thanks to technology, I mean, here we are doing this, right? Like with so many more people than would ever have been expected to or taught that they're allowed to have a voice and share an opinion and have a stand and take a stance on things are now able to do that. And with that comes a lot of fear and vulnerability because mm-hmm. it's not a position that many of us have found ourselves in in our lives or even expected or anticipated would be something that we would have the opportunity to do. And so, yeah, I'm. it's interesting. Like I've really been on kind of public speaking boot camp with this second book. Like mm-hmm. I spoke on a panel last night and it was my like seventh or eighth event this year. By the way, guys, we're talking on January 31st. Wow. So like- <laughs> So I just really have like thrown myself into the fire with it this year. (laughs) Well, I just, I thought it was so refreshing, you know, because I think when you think of public speakers or people in public that you expect them to be, you know, so polished and, and have the right words for everything. And I'm someone who struggles with that as well. So for you to just get up there and be with like what was coming up for you was just as, if not more powerful than maybe someone I've seen who has kind of a more, not rehearsed, but thing, you know, when they Mm. get up there and it was just so refreshing. Like, I hope that the landscape of this, you know, public speaking and, and, and doing that type of thing is that dynamic, you know, because Mm. 
I think it would be powerful to see, say, like, you know, a CEO of a company who's making some sort of statement get up there and be a little bit vulnerable about whatever's going on. I just think there is something to that. Um, and I just think it's really powerful. Yeah. And there's like an honesty to it too. So it's like, if you are completely comfortable and you, you know, say that's your thing and you get up there and it's like, I'm comfortable because you're comfortable and it makes Mm -hmm. me feel good that you are standing in this and you're crushing it. But if you do have a little bit of nerves, it makes me feel comfortable that you've acknowledged it and you have an honesty around feeling a little bit nervous. So it's like appreciating both tracks. And you know, it's like when people are filming for TV shows and they have a live audience and they see the actors or actresses mess up and they're like, they kind of like it more or you Mm. see someone kind of break character and you kind of like it more because you realize they're human Mm. with this. It's kind of the same thing. It's like, we are coming to this. We are paying to see you because we admire you and we think you're amazing. And you know, to know that you could be nervous too, because I'm probably nervous around you, um, gives that human element that really makes me lean into you more and makes me be like, Oh wow. There is like, you know, I, I love you more and I'm going to give you permission to be more of yourself because you've like expressed this to me. Totally. And it makes me think about imposter syndrome. So this panel I sat on last night, I was so jet lagged. I'd done an event the night before. I'm just kind of quite burnt out, like generally from book stuff. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, although it's all been so exciting and it's so, I get so excited about just talking about my new book and being out there. It's wonderful. And at the same time, I'm like physically just exhausted and drained. And I'm sat there between these two, three extremely accomplished, very confident women who have like got all the sound bites down, all the great stories and quips. And I feel myself getting quieter and quieter as the panel goes on. I was so intimidated because I was just like, oh, I just can't pull it out of the bag. And I'm sitting here in front of an audience and I just don't have it in me. I know I can be that. On a good day, I can be that 110%. And I couldn't last night. And I was just like, imposter syndrome, here mm. it is. And so I think that that again is something that many people experience that feeling of like, who am I to do this? I'm not good enough. Like I don't have this, this, whatever. Um, and I think that, yeah, showing some vulnerability in those situations, it just lets people, gives people permission to be, like you said, to be a human being and to not have it all together all the time. Because like, honestly, nobody does. Mm. Nobody does. Nobody does. Yeah. And in that situation too, it's like you get imposter syndrome. You're like 99% more likely if you're tired. Oh, if you're jet lagged, yeah. If you're, of course. you know what I mean. Yeah, I like, literally, it's because I, I just couldn't get my words out in the in the right order. You oh know? my god! Like yeah. I'm like, and I could feel my brain just like trying to crank up, and I'm like, come on, you can do totally. it. And it was like, no, sorry, I just can't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like the beginning of like if in the beginning of the panel, you know, you're. I find that with myself if I'm like speaking, and then in the beginning, I just like nothing's nothing's happening then I'm just like okay I'm, I'm just not, gonna listen it's hard to, it's hard to rev up um but you mentioned the book tour and we're going to talk a lot about the book sober curious is it's incredible and so um something that like I've been needing to read and I couldn't I wasn't able to have conversations with people who were sober sober curious and really get the um I don't know just the the support I needed or like the information I needed, um, like you have in this book. So this is a really good resource for people who are sober curious and understanding how it could affect every area of their life. But I love to kind of dig into Ruby before you became sober and just in this whole wellness world, really like redefining the landscape of the wellness world and what that looks like. And, um, so yeah. Who was Ruby before? Ruby before. 
all of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I am from the UK. Um, and as many people are aware, it's something that kind of gets joked about. Like drinking culture is very much, it's sort of like defines British life in a way. Like everyone drinks. There's very often as a young adult or even younger, um, there's no option whether or not to become a drinker, which is something I didn't even realize until very recently that that option was just never presented. It's just like a given that you will reach a certain age and begin to engage in the dominant drinking culture. And so I did. And, you know, it began even like as early as eight or nine. My dad would give me a sip of wine at dinner. By the time I was 12, I was probably having my own little half glass of wine at dinner. My dad's not an alcoholic. Like he probably has like a couple of glasses of wine a day. I've never really seen him like out of it drunk, Mm -hmm. you know? So um, it was just very much normalized. And yeah, throughout my teens and into my 20s and early 30s, I was a, a regular habitual drinker. Definitely weren't drinking any more than anyone else I knew, probably less actually than most people I knew. But by the time I reached my middle 30s, I was working in journalism um, as a features editor on a big kind of glossy like mag- newspaper supplement. It was a really high profile, very prestigious job. And I just felt kind of, either I was either consumed with anxiety and just like completely overwhelmed and felt incapable of keeping up with the level of responsibilities at work I did I was like on paper killing it inside like a wreck Mm -hmm. (laughs) um or I was just feeling really despondent and really uninspired and life felt so monotonous it kind of felt like I was just dragging myself through the week getting through my to-do list so that I could get to the weekend and relax with some drinks over the weekend <clears throat> before starting it all again on Monday. It was like that classic kind of treadmill like vibe with these kind of like roller coaster spikes of anxiety along the way. It was just not a happy place at all. And, uh, you know, ultimately, in a, in a way, it wasn't like a rock bottom in the sense that we think about it. Like if you think about someone who um, maybe is in a, an abstinence-based recovery program, having got there as a result of a rock bottom from their drinking, we think of something really dramatic, like someone's got into a car crash or they've lost their job or like they've messed up a really important relationship or hurt themselves. Um, it wasn't like that, but it was definitely a rock bottom moment in my life in general, in terms of my inspiration, my energy levels, just feeling completely kind of lost and life just felt really meaningless. And it was around that time that I had the idea for The Numinous, which is my online magazine um, where I cover all the fun mystical things um, and sort of began in a very quiet, like, am I really going to do this? Kind of behind the scenes way to start planting the seeds of that. And it was about a year after that that I found, I wound up moving to New York. Um, My husband got a job in New York. And so I followed him over and it really was a turning point in that I left my whole I was kind of forced to like just completely clean shedding. slate. Mm-hmm. It was a complete forced shedding. There've been a couple of those in my life and I can almost feel like another one approaching. And as much as it's scary and very destabilizing, and that was actually a very kind of tumultuous time for me, um, ultimately they've been like the real, kind, the real big leap, the real big leaps have happened right after those kind of big forced shed- sheds. Um, so when I landed in New York, um, I really started working on the numinous in earnest and I threw myself into what was then, if we're thinking about it like seven years ago, a really kind of still quite fresh bubbling wellness scene. Like there was wellness in terms of like Lululemon and yoga and all of green juice and all of that. 
But what I was interested in was the more kind of emotional, spiritual wellness side. So it was more like gong baths and healing circles and moon circles, um, seances, like these kinds of things that I would, I just went to anything and everything I could find because I was creating the numinous. And what I began to realize was that so many of the things I had been looking for in alcohol that society had trained me, I would find by drinking things like relaxation, joy, connection, transcendence, magic even, right? I think a lot of us, when we drink, we want to experience something that feels like kind of magical and intangible and like effervescent. I was actually experiencing those things through many of these different wellness practices. And it really shone a light on how when I used alcohol to experience those things, the the price for that was devastating. It felt devastating by comparison. Like I could go to a breathwork session on a Friday night, feel high and amazing and open and connected and wake up the next morning feeling even better. Whereas if I went drinking on a Friday night, I would invariably wake up the next morning feeling like shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it really helped me to, it really kind of like um, helped to speed up what had already this sober curious kind of like this questioning, what's the real impact of alcohol like? Would my life be better without it? It helped to speed that up. And in a way, I was really aided in the fact that I had a whole new social circle that was building because of this new, this magazine I was creating, this whole kind of world I was creating for myself. I think for a lot of people, the thought of of giving up alcohol or even just changing the way you drink comes very closely linked to fears around like, well, how is it going to change my social life? Am I going to lose all my friends? Am I going to be cast out? Like, are people not going to want to invite me to things anymore? Am I not going to feel comfortable at social events anymore? So I kind of bypassed some of that fear in a way by immediately jumping into this really cool scene that I was creating as much as participating in, you know? Mm-hmm. And so from there, it just kind of, I, I found myself drinking less and less and less. And actually, the more I stepped out of, as I describe it, that dominant drinking culture and was able to observe it from the outside, so many other questions, like bigger questions came up, like, why do we all use alcohol without mm. questioning it? Why is it so socially unacceptable to not drink? Why are there so few spaces for people to socialize that don't revolve around alcohol? Like some of the bigger questions. And it was those questions that then led to me starting my event series, Club Soda NYC, because I wanted to create a space for people to actually come that didn't have alcohol on the menu, where they could talk to each other about their experiences, hear from other people about what was going on. And um, yeah, off the back of that, pitched a book six months after my first book came out oh my God. Might, as well. <laughs> might as well strike while the iron is hot right <laughs> wow yeah that's <clears throat> incredible hmm. something you talked about you just mentioned was like the comfortability that a lot of times people get nervous about feeling um comfortable you know being out without alcohol mm. and you know i definitely remember that and i remember mm. feeling um you know that was a fear of mine when i stopped drinking mm. But really, it's like I always feel like I, and this is what I did to myself, is like challenging yourself to like sit in that. Like, what is that uncomfortability? Like, for me, it was I was in the wrong rooms. I was Mm. doing the wrong things. Mm. I wasn't with the right people. Mm -hmm. You know, although I was, you know, most of the time with friends who I love dearly, um, I really didn't want to be at the club. I didn't want to be like at some dude's table that I didn't fucking know. I didn't want to be like Mm. drinking, you know, I didn't want to be eating crap food. I didn't want to be in these environments. So, 
it was like the alcohol allowed me to be in these environments Mm -hmm. and be comfortable, quote unquote, rather than if I was choosing to be somewhere that actually interests me, that actually helped me, that actually was aligned with my spirit. um, I wouldn't need the alcohol in the first place. Totally. Yeah. That resonates with me very, very much. I, weirdly, I still love going to nightclubs. Like I I just love dancing. Mm. It's like, it has to be a certain kind of nightclub, like those bottle model places. Not Good. so much. Well, you think about the worst part of like the nightclub experience is like waiting in line to get a drink is kind of like when it hits you and you're like, you're spinning and it's terrible is like the anxiety induced by the drinking, like surrounding your friends or maybe like a love, love interest. Like it just gets complicated, mm. but to be there just for like, just for the music, the music just and for the being energy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. But no, I completely agree with you. And it's like, but that's a symptom, I think, of the fact that society revolt, like so our social lives just have been built to revolve around alcohol. So if you remove the alcohol, we still have these same situations, which are not everybody's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, a, a large part of my discomfort is I really hate small talk. Like it literally makes my skin crawl and I mm-hmm. get really tense and anxious. I'm much more of a like one-on-one let's have a deep and meaningful, I've only known you for five minutes, but let's just go there kind of a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And so alcohol, I used to think that alcohol allowed me to have those connections with people. What I realized is that alcohol was making me more tolerant of just kind of like surface level chit chat. And so now I very rarely like socialize at parties. I don't really like going to mixes. I don't, I don't need to do those things because I'm much more likely to connect with someone whose vibe I love on Instagram and go, let's have tea. And then we, we have a real connection, you know, it's, that's my social life has changed. Um, and that's been less scary than I thought it would be. Mm, it's well, amazing. What yeah. was the transition like, um, with friends who were still drinking? Mm. Like, how did you kind of have those? Did you have conversations? Was it awkward? I'm sure, you know, I can All imagine. Things. Yeah. <laughs> And with some friendships, it's a transition that's ongoing. Like there are definitely some people who I had a really strong connection with. And a lot of that was alcohol induced or involved alcohol. So it's been a question of really kind of like picking apart, like how much of that was alcohol and how much of that was the real connection. Um, I definitely have made it a point with some people where I just felt like my intuition was like, there's some weird kind of judgment stuff happening of actually having a conversation of like, I just want you to know, and I'm stating it clearly. This is hundred percent about me. It's not a judgment on your drinking at all. You do you. I'm just like making this choice for myself and let's hang out. Let's get brunch or let's do this instead of going to a party, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, some friends that, some friendships have just kind of naturally fallen away. And I think that's just a natural, natural part and parcel of, life as well like the ones that don't the ones that just you find yourself just not texting or not hanging out they just kind of drift off and that's fine I think we can sometimes feel guilt around those situations like we're being a bad friend or we're not making enough effort and all these things it's like actually it's a very normal part of life and if we're all constantly kind of evolving as beings I think a lot about how you know that saying that we're the average of the five people that we spend the most time with I think that's true. And I think also we attract people to us that kind of like reflect who we are. And I think when you're doing any kind of like inner work on yourself, and this is definitely a journey of inner work because it really will bring you into full presence with who you are and what you need. And 
and that can be confronting sometimes if you're not used to being that present with yourself. When you're going through that inner work, it kind of makes sense to me that you're going to attract different people in that kind of, you're going to magnetize in the people that reflect who you're becoming on the inside or rather who you're not becoming, but perhaps the person you have always been mm-hmm. <laughs> or that you're uncovering in a way or that you're giving more permission to be in the world. So I think it's a very, it's very natural that a, a person's friendship group will shift. hundred percent. Yeah. Mine definitely, I'm trying to think mine shifted, but I think I was probably the first of, of mine to stop drinking. And then it was like New York kind of people did, but in LA, it's really nice that, you know, we have a, a place where people don't, um, there's something about UK culture. What do you mm-hmm. think it is where drinking is so prevalent mm-hmm. and it's so accepted? And I love London, like I love England, but I definitely think there's an underlying, um, negativity that it, that runs there. And, and most conversations are centered around negativity, whether it's the weather or whatever it is, um, where a lot of times it, it's humorous, you know, it's, yeah. it, there's a humor yes. in it and there's a realness in it that I really, really appreciate and that I can really connect with. But what do you think that is? It's really interesting. I've thought about this a lot and I wonder like, which came first? The drinking or the negativity. It's like the drinking as a the drinking a way to alleviate the negativity that comes from having, frankly, like really crap weather all the time and just kind of quite a quite a quite a if you think about it, quite a difficult, painful history, like generationally to reckon with. Like coming from a country that basically went around and like colonized the world, that's not easy stuff to sit with on a really deep level. And so I think there's a degree of discomfort around that, that people don't really want to confront. There's a lot of healing to be done around that, I believe. Um, so, but then, yeah, of course, if you're, if you're regularly drinking something that is a known depressant, <laughs> it's going to kind of like breed or facilitate a culture that is more focused on the negatives. And I think, yeah, one thing I've really loved about coming to the US, not to like badmouth my hometown, my homeland, because there's so much that I love about England and British culture and actually things are really changing like there's a real consciousness shift happening oh, in London amazing. now um if you guys done a, a live in London we're, going we're doing in May oh, yeah May I'm gonna be there in May really? perfect yes done. let's do it together <laughs> amazing <Booked>. done <laughs> you're right. right you're hired <laughs> Kayla listen up <laughs> probably even more than schedule you, but anyway um, <laughs> um so there is a real shift happening there for sure um but yeah, I kind of feel like there's definitely an attitude of anybody who is seen as a success or doing really well for themselves, there's automat- the automatic reaction is like, let's pull them down to where they belong. And I don't know if that's something to do with this kind of like really deeply entrenched class system that exists there as well. Like there's a sense that anyone who's kind of like lifting themselves up higher is somehow a bad, bad person mm-hmm. or egotistical or all these things. Um, and I think that in a weird way, drinking a lot keeps you down at the level of kind of like everybody's down here at this level. We're all down here in the trenches together. Like, and that's something I do talk about in the book, the fact that, you know, alcohol is a depressant, which if you think about that, literally, it means it's something that pulls or lowers you down into a lower position. So remove it. You're automatically going to feel your vibration rise, your energy rise, your optimism rise. And you'll have more inspiration and more of a platform 
and kind of internal platform to do really great things in the world and to elevate yourself and your life. So, mm. and that can be, yeah, like I said, that can be a tricky place in the UK. It can be very frowned upon. Yeah. I think for the, the elevating it for the depressant part and like elevating your vibration or raising your vibration, that's the thing too, is I feel like a lot of women are looking for ways to raise their vibration or looking for ways to elevate their voice or to mm. be more connected to themselves or to be more of themselves or to feel more aligned or to shine brighter and do all these things. And that is like the very first thing that you could do, you mm. know, that yeah. cutting out alcohol will help you be more of yourself, feel more in your body, face, you know, things that you maybe need to face throughout your mm -hmm. life where they'll come up later or they could mm -hmm. be blocking you. Mm -hmm. It helps you face your shadow. It helps you face your light. There's just so much that it does that um, if people would kind of think about as a tool, um, you know, yeah. they could really apply it and really help change their life. Definitely. How long have you not drink, not been drinking for? Let's see. So I was... Um, Probably when I was in, I'm trying to think when I moved to New York, I kind of stopped drinking. Mm -hmm. I started to do drugs. Mm -hmm. So I started to do, um, like Molly a lot. Mm -hmm. I was doing like ecstasy pretty often and, um, kind of Coke and stuff like that. So I was doing, so I switched basically from depressants to uppers. Yeah. Right. And when I started doing uppers, I was like, oh, drinking blows. Because was, it's just like ruining, yeah. it's killing the effects of all these like highs. Killing the effects. <laughs> and it was just like, I just realized, I was like, oh, I'm realizing when I'm doing this thing, I'm tired. I don't want to be there. I feel like crap the next day. It makes people look disgusting. Yeah. It, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, it's just, it didn't, it wasn't matching my energy. Mm. And then I was like, oh, the next day with drugs, sometimes you feel terrible, but sometimes I didn't. Mm. And I was like, oh, I don't have to. It was just like a evolution for mm. me. And then I stopped, you know, doing drugs, which I don't do anymore. But that's sort of like the transition that happened for me. And then it became like a spiritual thing. Yeah. It became like an honoring of who I was and the fact that I've always been someone that likes deep conversations. In college, I would drink till I was blacked out because I couldn't stand small talk either. I would go to these bars with these frat guys from freaking Hamilton, Ohio. And, you know, it was just painful for me mm -hmm. when I was such a deep feeling person, especially mm -hmm. at like a very emotional part of my life to mm -hmm. go to these places where I was stuck having these dumb conversations and, you know, to their credit, it was definitely my fault as well. I'm participating mm, in it. Mm. Um, and that was kind of a turning point for me where I realized that like it, I didn't like it, but I continued to do it mm -hmm. when I was in Chicago. And then, you know, as I started to, uh, just deepen my spiritual practice through meditation, um, I kind of just fell off of it and was like, Oh, this isn't serving me. I'm always so curious to hear other people's sobriety stories yeah. because whenever I hear someone say I'm sober, I automatically think, oh, you must have had been an alcoholic, gone to AA. Like that's just an automatic response. And it's so often not, not the actually case. Yes. the case, mm. yeah. which is part of the reason I wrote the book as well. It's like, hey guys, guess what? What if actually nine out of 10 people in this room were feeling the same and questioning alcohol and wondering whether they wanted to. And yet no, everyone was too afraid to say it because the automatic response is, oh, well, then you're an alcoholic. You must go to AA and have this label and all of yeah. the stuff, the stigma that comes with that, you know? Completely. And I think part of like, I think the awareness is kind of the goal. Like if you're not, if, if people aren't really keen on, you know, stopping drinking completely. Maybe they just enjoy something every once in a while, which is kind of where I'm at. Mm. The awareness of the 
the low vibration that could that could and inevitably most like 90% of the time does happen or the morning after does happen it's like the the owning of it and knowing rather than pretending like it's not going yeah, to happen right. <laughs> i guess is is part of the way that i've i've reconciled it cuz i'm like i i don't i always ask myself i'm like how do you want to feel tomorrow mm-hmm. mm. you know do you want to be creative tomorrow mm. do you want to you know be light and, 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 you know, have energy and be able to connect with people in a really pure way. And obviously the answer is usually yes. And, and if I choose to have a glass or two of wine, then I kind of know that tomorrow might be compromised, which, you know, is not something I want, but, um, how have you just in, in that vein, like how have you, I find myself when I meet someone or I have friends who are like, yeah, I just like, I haven't been able to be creative and you know, blah, blah, blah. And I know that they've been like, kind of, they've been drinking a lot or they've been like going out and partying in a way that's just not, um, in alignment with like the art or whatever that they want to produce. I don't know. I don't have the words to Mm -hmm. kind of tell them without just saying like, Hey, are you drinking a lot? Do you know what I mean? And then they're like, Oh, like maybe, and then they're just kind of like, then they, they shut feel off. shamed. And exactly. that's not great. That's not, that's not where we want to be. Exactly. exactly. It's very, very difficult because again, like this is so new <laughs> to be openly talking about these things. Like there almost isn't language around it. Like someone asked me the other day, so are you sober? Are you an alcoholic? And I was like, well, I'm not sober and I also don't drink. So how would you describe, like, what's that? I'm sober, like that's where sober curious comes in, I mm-hmm. guess. But I think there will be more language that comes to just to kind of help us out in these situations. I mean, I've definitely had that with people in my life and more often than not, simply by modeling, by being like modeling by example, people will kind of begin to draw their own conclusions. Right. And like, honestly, a hundred percent, literally a hundred percent of the people I'm really close to in my life at this point are sober curious, meaning they're either not drinking at all or they're having trying longer and longer periods with not drinking or they're experimenting with not drinking in certain situations when they normally would. And that has, I mean, yes, I wrote a book on it, but it hasn't, I haven't been going around to people that you need to stop drinking. There have been a couple of situations where I've seen someone particularly distressed and I know that perhaps they've even then been using alcohol as a way to self-soothe or self-medicate in those situations where I have very gently suggested. And it's more like, you know, not drinking has really helped me feel, like bringing it back to my experience, you know, I was feeling like this and actually not drinking really helped take away some of that anxiety. It helped me to just trust myself more. It helped me to feel, get better sleep. When I get better sleep, everything's easier to deal with. Like just bringing it again back to my own experience mm-hmm. rather than pointing any fingers. I think too, there's, and I would say, and you know, maybe you feel the same, but there's definitely a, um, and the word is escaping me and it's been frustrating me, but there's <laughs> definitely, it's scary to, fully engage and participate in life. You know what I mean? And that's the thing with being sober, being sober curious is that it is, can be terrifying for people and it can be, and it's a lot of work and it's a lot of mind space um, to go to social situations and, you know, be unafraid to be yourself or be unafraid to stick up for other people or to be fully present in your life. Like, there is nothing that's the that's one of the end goals of our our existence is to mm-hmm. be fully present within mm-hmm. the life that we're living. Mm-hmm. And so when you become sober curious or sober, 
that happens, you know, you are fully present in situations that you're in, which can provide you, um, can provide people with anxiety. Sometimes it can be fearful, but it also can be the most beautiful thing. You know, if you are vibrating at that high level and that high frequency, because you've been honoring your spirit and your soul, and you're not dampening any of your light, um, you can, have fun wherever you are. You know, maybe you're not going to the club or situations where you used to be drinking all the time too, but like there will be maybe a period in time where it gets a little challenging, but it can be like the most beautiful, fun thing. Yeah. I mean, everything you said is just, I'm like, yes, this is what we're aiming for guys. And yes, some of that, that I call it almost like radical presence because we're just not, we live in a world that does everything it can to distract us from the Mm. present moment, often to sell us things. That's a whole other conversation. Mm. But like Down to talk about um, that. Mm. But we live in a world that's like, no, you it's it's not safe for you to be present. It's too much for you. You can't handle your feelings. It's okay. Here, we'll look after you. You take this pill, you buy this thing, you do that, you know, you you stay over there. We've got you. You just you don't need to deal with all of that. But actually choosing to be present with all of your feelings all of the time is a roller coaster and a half. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. And it can be very daunting and um at the same time, it's literally the only way that we can grow and evolve as human beings and really, truly know who we are and really, truly know what we have to contribute to the world. Like I think about it, it's almost like, you know how I described at the beginning, life just felt so monotone and so kind of like one note when it was just like, go to work, feel stressed, drink at the weekends, have a hangover. Go Like it was just kind of this one note. Even though weirdly, I thought that life would become so monotonous when I stopped drinking, it was kind of the opposite. Now it's like, feel amazing about everything. Realize that you're inexperienced here and hate yourself for a while. (laughs) And then like up and down and up and down. But every one of those ups and downs, you're forced to find the inner resources and cultivate the tools both within yourself and in your environment to help you grow and overcome those challenges and literally overcoming those challenges. I describe it as almost like a very kind of richly like textured life. My life feels so vibrant and it has so many different textures and that's so exciting and it feels so full, even though sometimes it can be extremely challenging, you know, but that's the kind of life we only get one, right? Well, depending what you believe, we only think we only we're only aware that we have one life and I want my life to be as full of as many different experiences as possible and some of those experiences are going to include pain and mm-hmm. guess what I can handle it like I'm not weak I can handle my pain I'd love to talk about um sex relationships dating as mm-hmm. it relates to you know drinking and I mean I just for myself. And I know a lot of girls out there can relate where dates are centered around grabbing a drink. And I mean, that was my whole existence in my twenties, which was like the date would start out and I'd be like, Oh, I don't know. Not sure. And then like two drinks in, I'm like, I maybe I could, like, I could do this. You know what I mean? It was crazy. (laughs) Didn't know what was happening. Like I'd love to talk about one, what is actually happening in our bodies when we are drinking alcohol and what happens to our confidence, our perception of, of another, and then just how, how you're having these conversations with people who are in the dating scene and they are super curious, like what are the alternatives? I know there are a lot, but it's like, it's hard to change it the feels- culture. Cause, cause then you feel like a nerd. You're like, hey, like, I mean, in LA, it's a museum. LA is standard. LA is like, it's standard for, I've 
gone on so many dates with people who are sober. Um, I didn't know they were sober, but you know, it just like happened like that. And it's been a really good lesson for me because I'm used to let's grab a drink. Yeah. And well, used yeah. to just like getting a little loose and mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there is a whole section yes. on, in the book about the role of alcohol <laughs> in a hookup culture. And that was one of the mm. hardest sections to write because I was really wary of coming across as like yeah. prudish and judgmental yeah. and all of these things. But it really is ultimately just saying we can't like ignore the fact that alcohol gets many of us into situations we would probably not choose to be in if we had been sober. Completely. Alcohol often unreported fact, alcohol is the number one date rape drug. I'm just going to put them out there. 89% of sexual assault victims have been incapacitated by alcohol before the assault happened. Those are just, these are just some of the more scary things that can happen. But on a, on a less kind of intense level, even like sleeping with someone you don't really want to sleep with, waking up the next day, it's kind of like, what a waste of energy. Like what a waste of energy. Totally. Yeah. You know, my yeah. Sp- our like, sexual I think about energy my spirit. is directly. Yeah. Oh man. Our sexual energy is directly connected to our spiritual and creative energy, and it's like just leaking that away on kind of ca- encounters that really actually don't feel great, or you don't really yes. want to be. All in. of our it's faces just, are like, ugh. Well, yeah, <laughs> our faces leaking are leaking like, away. That really hit like me. face. Yeah. We're like, ugh. Like even when you're saying I would it, do I'm it like, so ugh. often, and I'm thinking of myself at that time. I'm like, mm, wasn't creative. I wasn't inspired. I was mm. like. I was just letting these energies literally inside of me. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, what I mean? it yeah. was just like yeah. not conscious whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's that whole thing, which is not great. Um, and then also like, so in terms of what's actually physically happening in your body, one of the reasons we love alcohol so much is that it shuts down a part of our brain, which I had to do quite a bit of digging to find this. Ooh. It's a part of the brain called the and I know how you pronounce it because I wrote, read the audio book, but I might get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the right temporoparietal junction. Mm. And it's the part of our brain that basically monitors how we think other people see us. It switches that off. <laughs> so it's like we're in a wow. situation where we're, that's why it, we lose our inhibitions because we're no longer worried about how we're being perceived or being judged. So we feel like we're okay to just be ourselves. And then if we feel like we're okay to be ourselves with someone, the next thing is like, oh, this person accepts me. So I've got a connection with this person. I like this person. So it's this kind of loop that when we think we're having those deep connections or we're like, actually, yeah, you're kind of cool. It's because we're not, we think this person's not judging us. And so we think they're accepting us. And so we think there's a connection happening there. Wow. Very interesting. That it does is other so things. Interesting. Like it increases the hormone GABA, which is what the the hormone that makes us feel just physically relaxed and kind of at ease. So it might take away some anxiety that we have about like this person we don't know, but I'm actually getting naked with them. We're gonna have like who wouldn't have anxiety about getting naked with a person totally. you've never met before, right? Like <laughs> so true. It's so natural to have anxiety. So the increased GABA would remove some of that anxiety and make us feel like more comfortable in that situation. Wow. And, you know, it's interesting, like I interviewed um, a trans friend of mine who, while he was discovering his sexuality and kind of like in his transition, he was like, alcohol actually helped me to engage in some trans, what what I perceived as transgressive sexual encounters, which were a really important part of my exploration of my Mm. sexuality. So it's like, and then he goes on to say, but of course those encounters weren't the kind of like deeply connected intimate encounters that I have now in sobriety. He's now completely sober. So, you know, it's like, it's, alcohol is there as a tool. 
has it has had uses in medicine throughout history. And I'm also curious about like other ways we could use it um, consciously. Honestly, I think that it takes such a level of self-awareness and given the nature of the beast, which is the, it's one of the most five most addictive substances on the planet, um, it's very, very difficult to reach a point where you can use it that consciously, I think. But I have also met people on this kind of path who've been like, you know, I consider myself a witch and I use alcohol in some of my rituals. It helped like half a glass of wine helps me open up to other kind of like um, ways of seeing and I, I able to channel when I've had half a glass of wine, that kind of thing I've heard as well. So hmm. I'm curious about that, but I'm also like, I think, like I said, that's a very, um, it's kind of unattainable for the majority of people who might find themselves questioning their drinking. Yeah. I always felt like too, I didn't, sometimes I'd be like a, a drinking and I'd be like, I don't feel like everyone feels, mm. you know, I, it's not like I would be mad or angry. I just would look at people being like, yeah, you know, like, wow, having fun. And I guess I would be like that, but like, I wouldn't feel like the, you know, I, it was always like, a catch for me. Like mm. I never felt like the good looseness. Like I have friends now that drink still and it just does, it's kind of relaxes them. It's like a cultural thing and, and they have a healthier relationship with mm -hmm. it. But I always felt like it was like never something that served me or like made me like, you know, cause I just, I guess I'm thinking about our listeners and there's probably are people that have a good relationship with alcohol mm. where they can have a drink or two mm. every once in a while. Mm. And like, you know, it's just like a social thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just a personal thing for me that it never really served me. Well, it's interesting you say that. Cause I definitely, I had so much fun drinking. Like mm. I had a lot of fun drinking. Mm -hmm. I really, really enjoyed it. It really did. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it made me much more extroverted, but then I actually really love dancing and I do love like the nightlife scene was something I was really into and I love that scene. And it was just a part of that scene and it enabled a lot of those experiences for me. Um, but what's really interesting now, and I think it's partly because I've got so conscious about, like I know so much about alcohol and what it's doing to me and why I'm using it and all of those things. But also I think my, I've sensitized my body <laughs> by, just really taking care of myself and getting really aware and conscious of like what it feels like to be me all the time. That now even mm -hmm. a sip or two of alcohol, it's really weird. It's like, there's no pleasure from it anymore. It's, um, it's almost like I feel this pressure, like sitting on my chest. Like as soon as I take a couple of sips, I can feel it kind of like weighing on my heart. Like, oh, it's literally kind of on my chest and it makes me feel a bit nauseous. I can feel my senses closing down. Like I can't hear as well. Like everything just kind of feels like it's shutting down. So that alone is now I'm like, oh, and sometimes I'm like, damn, I've like totally ruined it for myself. Like mm -hmm. I've never got, I don't think I'm ever going to be, be able to like experience a high from alcohol again. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, that sucks. And then I'm like, well, you have all these other great ways to get high and like, it wasn't doing you any good anyway. Why do you even still want it? But that's still part of the conditioning that I'm still even like nine, 10 years into this journey I'm doing for myself, you know? I'd love to talk about those things that are getting you high. <laughs> <laughs> the other ways to get yeah. high. Dancing is a really great one. Like it just really is. It just feels so good. And most of the dancing I do is at home on my own in my apartment with my cat, you know, just like <laughs> going wild when the mood yeah. takes me. Um, I did have my first sober a holiday in Ibiza this past summer and went to some of the big super clubs and like the vibe and the energy. It's just, it was just amazing. 
it's like, wow, <laughs> who knew? Mm. Um, so yeah, dancing is one. Again, I mean, for me, I really get high off like deep connection with people. And actually I can feel, I can, knowing people like Alexandra, like the moon, the um, story medicine circles we host for Moon Club, these kinds of experiences, like I know that an hour or a couple of hours in that kind of company can just lift me up so much. It's a different kind of a high, right? It's like not an out of it high or a kind of numb or a crazy high. It's just a, a very rich, like full body high almost, you know, that feels so much more sustainable as well. So I want to talk about too, like the health stuff, mm-hmm. you know, so that maybe, you know, it didn't align with me, but you know, that was definitely something too, where I was, I've always had like a food, you know, body thing. So I was like, oh, this is calories, hmm. you know, that like I could be eating or like, so there was like a, a, a vanity thing related to alcohol too. And I think that's something that's really important because it's, especially when you're eating, you know, when you're eating and then you have alcohol, it's like fermenting in your body. Like it's not letting your body digest the food because it's in like a state of hypersensitivity and awareness mm. to the alcohol that's mm. like hurting you. And then there's the extra calories, the sugar, like it dries your skin out. Like it's changed the game for my skin. There's so much. So I'd love to talk about like the health benefits of going sober. I think that, you know, the vanity piece is a really great reason to get sober curious. Like it is what many of us are very concerned about that. And so, yeah, there are many ways that physically you'll look better through not drinking. My skin is so much better. Um, my, I feel like my eyes are even bigger. Mm. It's really weird. I see it in my husband too. Sometimes I'll find myself looking at him. I'm like, your eyes are like twice the size. It's so interesting. And I think it's partly they're just no longer puffy. So there's just like, they appear bigger, but there's just like more vibrancy coming out, you know, and that's something I've definitely seen among other people too. Um, One of the really interesting things for me, um, I had kind of IBS. I had an eating disorder in my teens. Mm -hmm. And ever since, like in my entire adult life, I always had kind of bad IBS symptoms, just like bloating, constipation, all the horrible things. And as and it just sort of never seemed to go away. And I figured that maybe I had just messed up my gut for good and that was it and tried all of the diet things. Like I cut out meat and I still don't eat meat because that was really beneficial. I tried not eating gluten, tried not eating dairy. I do eat those things now because it didn't really make any difference. Took probiotics, nothing really seemed to make a difference. But when I stopped drinking was when it all just completely went away. It was like magic almost. And I think it was partly just removing the toxin itself was allowing my digestive system to heal and to actually do its work. But I think that actually so many of my digestive issues very much linked to the issues that led to me having an eating disorder were emotional. And that it was actually only when I took the alcohol away that I was able to look at the emotional, underlying emotional stuff that I hadn't really been wanting to deal with and therefore to heal it. And so, yeah, just having... Mm -hmm. um, having been through that process, like my gut now is, I, I'm so like er, almost every day, I'm just so grateful to not be living with that. It sounds so kind of like inconsequential, uh, bloating, whatever, but it's, it can be so debilitating uh, and painful and like it can take up so much energy. And I know so many women suffer with this. So yeah, that's been a really amazing surprise health benefit. And I obviously can't guarantee that everyone will experience the same, but for me, it was like game changer. It's crazy to think about the energy that it takes to like 
get the alcohol out of your body. Like I can imagine just not only the digestive tract, but your liver, obviously. Mm. I mean, these are obvious things that people mm. know, but like, I don't think we really think about the energy that it takes. Mm, exactly. You know, like it's, yeah. that's like, I think the digestive system is like 70% of your body's energy needs to be there in order mm-hmm. to make it work properly. Mm-hmm. But So yeah, no wonder we feel so tired mm-hmm. after drinking, like Absolutely. just lack of energy. You know? What about your sleep? What is, oh my God, I mean, my I know so for much myself. Terribly last night, the whole jet lag thing, but um, it's not like I get perfect sleep every night, despite the subtitles of my book. Yeah. <laughs> like blissful sleep, but like comparatively, let's say yeah. like nine, t- nine nights out of 10, it's just like that really deep blackout restorative sleep and alcohol. It's actually the number one used sleep aid, like self-administered sleep aid in the US. I think like eight out of 10 Americans use alcohol at some point to help them go to sleep. And while because of its sedative effects, it does help you go to sleep sometimes, it actually prevents you from entering REM sleep, which is the deep, the really restorative part of the sleep. And this is where it gets a bit mystical too, because REM sleep is when we have like the real world, crazy vivid dreams. And I've always just been like, wow, that is when our spirit goes to another plane, gets information, works things out, mm-hmm. heals us, and then comes back to our body restored. That's honestly what I think happens. <laughs> like I my it. totally unscientific I <laughs> um, mm-hmm. view on what REM sleep is, but we don't get to experience that when we drink alcohol. Mm. So yeah, the sleep piece is huge. And because that, I mean, I honestly believe that like sleep it's probably like the number one health drug we should all be. Yeah. We should all be prioritizing. I'm with Ariana Huffington on that one. Mm. For, have you received any negative feedback or anybody that's been like, you know, just like kind of questioned it? Like the work you're doing? Really amazingly, no. Well, that's amazing. There was one person, I did a talk on this at the Wanderlust Yoga Festival um, a couple of years ago. And there was one guy in the crowd who I guess was in AA and he was like, you know, this is a very dangerous conversation. This is leaving the door wide open for people who have serious drinking problems to not address it properly and to not embrace abstinence. And I had my my kind of answer to that, which is like, I hear you and this is not, there's nothing... This may well be a, this may actually be a gateway for people who, to actually find their way. And I know certainly I have people in my life who have got sober curious and then been like, you know, I need some more help with this. Mm. I'm going to go to AA and have found a lot of support there. And I mentioned in the book many times that there is no shame in that whatsoever. And it's a free resource, which is unprecedented in the healthcare industry that's available to people. And you should definitely make use of it if you feel called. And then the second part of my answer was, and... There are so many people who are not at that level of addiction and yet who have problematic drinking, who are not being addressed and not having any place to go to for this. So, and then what was really interesting, the woman who was actually like hosting the um, tent where I was speaking, she stepped up and she was like, you know, I went into rehab when I was 19 (laughs) and I came out again, like I I started drinking again in my mid twenties. And that was actually a really difficult period of my life being in rehab and like feeling like I had this kind of stigma attached to me and it actually wasn't it felt like it was the only option but it wasn't the option for me and I think what Ruby's doing is like fantastic so I was like Thank oh you. yay thanks <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense um, and that's but- just one of those where it's like you're speaking directly about your experience sir you know what I mean yeah. it's like you have to meet people halfway like yeah. you can't 
not everyone here is an addict in the way that you are. Mm-hmm. So the treatment and the help that's going to be beneficial for you is going to be AA mm. because you are at a different place in your path and your journey with addiction. And a lot of people have a different addiction story. So those kind of questions, it's like, sir, that's literally directly a question that is a mirror for you. Although three, when I first publicly started speaking about this three years ago, I was really nervous that I would get huge pushback from the recovery community. I was or equally nervous, if not more so, that this may be damaging, that this may be dangerous, that this may be endangering people who were kind of like on the edge with their addiction, who were maybe going to like really harm themselves if they drank again. Um, and I actually partnered with Biet Simkin. Do you know Biet? Of course. Um, yeah. To host the Club Soda NYC series with. Um, she has a, you know, more traditional kind of abstinence-based recovery background. And I wanted to partner with someone who came from that world um, just to ensure that I wasn't doing anything dangerous, mm-hmm. frankly. But it's been amazing to see how um, this has been received so openly and welcoming, been welcomed so much over the past three years. And even in that short time frame, so many more people seem willing to talk about sobriety for all different kinds of individuals. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that your husband's eyes got bigger and brighter. What has been, you know, your journey with him in partnership and and being sober curious? It's been interesting. I mean, we used to do so much great drinking together. Mm-hmm. I say great, like we had so much fun drinking together. It really was like, you know, um, it's very romantic, very loved up. Um, and we still, we've been together for 20 years and we're still wow. like super lovey-dovey with each other. Aww. It's really kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, anyway, um, he... Yeah, I mean, he, he'll always say, I got sober curious before you because he did like a sober October, like when I first, when we were first, we first moved to New York and we were both a bit like, oh, if you're just feeling quite unstable about life in general, it was quite, like I said, it was quite a kind of weird um, shake up for both of us. But then he went straight back into drinking, whereas I continued to kind of drink less and less and less. And I think when I first, I've described it this way in a few talks that I've done, but when I first um, told him, you know, like, I think I'm really just going to try not drinking, like just not for a while and see how it goes. And he kind of looked at me with this look that was like, he'd been told that his best friend was moving to another country. It was kind of like, (laughs) oh, that's the end of that then. Oh, I'm going to miss you kind of thing, you know? I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss those Sunday afternoons with a couple of pints in our local bar. Like, I'm going to miss that because they were really like, the nostalgia for those times is really sweet. Um, but ultimately again, me being on this path and him just seeing like firsthand the positive impact that it's had on my life. He found himself a few years ago going through a really stressful period at work and his team were all big drinkers. A lot of their work life centered around drinking and it was kind of toxic. And, um, so he, um, yeah, he decided, you know what, I'm going to take a break too and see how it goes. And from there, he never really started again either. So yeah, he's sober curious too. Wow. And in terms of our relationship, like I said, we've been together for twenty years, and it was a real, you know, real deep connection from the word go. And we, and many people have always been like, "Wow, you two are so just so meant for each other, soulmates." And it has always felt like that. And it's even more like that now. If I thought that we were going to lose that as a result of not drinking, it's like been the opposite because now we really like. 100%, 1000% vulnerability, like realness with each other. That's just meant an even deeper level of 
connection and understanding of each other. So yeah, it's really helped. And I would say the same for like my relationships with family members, with my close friends, like where even where there was a great connection, it's just got even better. It's beautiful. What would be some advice you would tell our listeners if they would like to get sober curious, you know, maybe tips and tricks for when they start to feel the feelings or when they feel uncomfortable or opportunities for them to stay sober or like what would be some advice or like um, first steps on their path? Um, Well, a really good one is just to kind of like write down, you could even kind of like ritualize it slightly, just really get clear on why you want to get sober curious like what are your intentions and in that in that process focus on like the positives I want to feel more energized I want to feel more connected there's some things in my life that I want to heal I want to get really clear on um I would like to change up my friendship group like some of my friendships feel toxic like whatever are your reasons actually write them down maybe keep them in your wallet put them on your fridge like just somewhere you can kind of refer back to them so you can remind yourself why you're doing this. Another really important piece, and I think it's one of the great things about AA is community. And so even if it's just one person, you tell what you're doing and why you're doing it to be a kind of accountability slash like shoulder to cry on buddy, really, really important to not do it on your own. And if it's hard to find that person, find I mean we have like there's a club soda NYC Facebook group now that's very connected and people it's a private group people are very open and supportive in there moon club as you know is another amazing community that's growing that's all over the country that's definitely attracting people who are very committed to their personal growth and to really kind of being real with their feelings um so there are communities out there that you can find if AA doesn't feel like a good fit but again like if AA is calling like go check it out you might find that it's exactly what you need you know there's no shame in that so yeah finding some kind of community really knowing why you're doing it um and then with some of the more difficult feelings um yeah maybe it's a time that you do find a therapist I've found hypnotherapy to be very helpful it's a great hypnotherapist called Shauna Cummings in New York that Alexandra and I both see um and another sober curious friend has been going to her as well so find like do do experiment like try out some some of these different kind of alternative healing methods that may be very supportive to you. And that therapy, like, does it uncover kind of the subconscious why you might be drinking too? Like, has has that been the experience? I mean, it or? can be. Okay. I'm, I think I've always been pretty self-aware in terms mm-hmm. of where my pain points are. Mm-hmm. My mom is a psychotherapist. <laughs> so I kind of like grew up with this model of somebody who was in my early life, very much in her own traumas, but then healing from that through therapy and like bringing that language into our home. So I, I, yeah. Um, but yes, it may well be the point when you realize, I mean, again, like to get a little more heavy, I suppose, I think it's something like 80% of female alcoholics have experienced sexual assault. Mm. So it's things like that, that just have maybe not been unpacked that is that, that are there waiting for us to heal from to which it means address integrate like come to terms with Mm -hmm. and that can be that can be scary again we've been taught that that's a difficult scary painful thing and it can be but I think that um another thing I've really got out of being sober curious and sort of touched on this before was just this idea of like how resilient I am like confronting all those difficult things head on and coming out the other side it's like wow I'm so much stronger than I thought 
And I think we're all stronger than we've really been led to believe. And when we have community, we have people around us who can support our process. We do have the capacity to heal from even very difficult traumatic experiences. Yes. And Almost 30 Nation is an open community. Maybe we could do like a sober month. Love that. To celebrate. Cool. They That'd do so dry cool. July in Australia. Really? Oh, yeah. I like that. <laughs> we should do that with our community. I know they've done, maybe they've done it before in Almost 30 Nation, but I would love mm. to. I'd love to cool. do that together. So yeah. the Y community and then for deeper things, um, receiving help. Mm. Um, there was two I was thinking about is, you know, again, just not coming off you know, this is me speaking for myself, like from a judgmental perspective. I think sometimes when I see something so clearly, it's hard for me to sympathize, you know, with situations or things, especially with drinking. I'm like, you waste money. It's bad for your health. It's bad for your body. It's bad for your spirit. It's bad for your relationships. You know, I kind of get a little bit (laughs) harsh at times Uh (laughs) when I believe something so strongly and when I've Mm. worked through something and Mm. I see something very, very clearly on the other side. Um, And I don't mean it to be coming from a judgmental perspective, but a conversation like this is really meant to question societal standards for the way we deal with pain. Mm -hmm. And that's really what this Mm -hmm. is meant to be from my perspective is, you know, as our podcast is with so many things, questioning the societal standards of gender, of wellness, of all of these things. This is another opportunity Mm -hmm. for us to really think about why we drink. Mm -hmm. Why do we need alcohol when we're feeling our feelings? Why do we need alcohol to cover the pain? And it's really the going in to figure out what that pain is and dealing with it head on. And it isn't as scary oftentimes as you think. Mm -hmm. And feeling your feelings is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it can seem painful at first, but if you're just dumbing it down with alcohol, it's gonna figure its way out. If it's in your bad health or relation, you know what I mean? It always figures its way out. It will express, it will, it will um, act out. Exactly. I did a, a really interesting panel as one of our club soda um nyc events on psychedelics and sobriety and i had a a a ucla and oxford university trained psychiatrist on the panel who is currently working with his clients using psychedelic therapy he's also sitting on the there are john hopkins trials for mdma for treating ptsd he's sitting on those trials so he has really interesting insights about how we actually heal from trauma he said a few things um One of them was like, you know, we think when we hear the word trauma, we think of something very dramatic, the death of a loved one, um, a a deep physical injury, an assault. And yet he's like, all of us have experienced trauma. Like on some level, we have all experienced trauma in our lives. And the impact of that on our physical beings is, it it affects all of us. Um, So he was like, "There's um, there's no shame or like, mine wasn't bad enough. Like for me to spend this much time and attention on it wasn't that bad. That's how I always felt about my eating disorder, right? I was never got to the point where I was hospitalized. I was always kind of like functioning with it. It wasn't that bad. I wasn't really anorexic. It was just like problem eating. Like even word anorexic, I'm still uncomfortable using that word, even though that's what was going on. Um, But then he also spoke about how in Western society, we rely very heavily on suppressive therapies, meaning like antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, just like put a Band-Aid on it, so push it down, suppress it, make it go away. And he's like, the only way we can heal from trauma truly is through the use of evocative therapies. So therapies like psychedelics, like talk therapy, 
that actually, unlike many kind of more mystical shamanic practices, actually, that actually help us to con- like bring the fullness of that feeling or that trauma back up so that we can then actually have catharsis. And of course, depending on what the situation is, having a trained professional to assist you in that process is going to be essential. But he also said, and I thought this was so fascinating, and it's one thing I love about podcasts like this because we're kind of doing it right now. He's like, we've created the need for mental health professionals in our society because of the way families have broken down, because of the way community has broken down. We now have to pay people to like do what family and friends naturally can do for us by nature of being empathetic, loving human beings. Like we can all be each other's emotional caretakers, you know, and Mm -hmm. we just need to acknowledge that and yeah step into it you know wow so it was a really fascinating conversation i'm actually going to have him on my podcast soon i know i would love an introduction to him too yeah he's great have you done psychedelics i haven't um no there's a chapter in my first book called feeling the plant medicine peer pressure Mm -hmm. i kind of feel like there was a phase about four or five years ago where like every other day it'd be like every other day every week it'd be like have you done ayahuasca want to come to this ceremony want it and i was a bit like ah should i it was like being back at school when everyone started smoking like are you doing it yet (laughs) no i don't know if i want to um so no i haven't um i think i'm quite sort of mystically attuned she says me founder of the new like and I kind of I don't know I feel like I've had some really psychedelic experiences in healing sessions with people um and I'm still I have to say a little afraid of psychedelics plus I had my kind of like ecstasy MDMA years tried LSD a few times and I have such strong associations with some of the more negative aspects of that that I just I'm wary. Totally. I don't know what how therapeutic it would feel like there's already a kind of muscle memory of other experiences of that. So I'm more interested, I have to say, in ways to facilitate those kind of healing experiences that don't mean ingesting a foreign substance. Mm-hmm. I think shamanic work is very interesting. Are you familiar with Deborah Hanekamp, Mama Medicine? Yeah. yeah. We've had her on. She's mm-hmm. a doll. She's amazing. So I had a medicine reading with her where she essentially channels the spirit of ayahuasca in the session. And wow. it was like just I, I went to a completely different really? realm. It was oh, amazing. amazing. Do that when we're in New York. <laughs> yeah, yes, do that when you're in New York. I was even thinking it might be time for to do that with her again. Um, so yeah, I think there are other ways we can experience those that, and, that maybe come with less, less risks. Mm. I love it. Wow. Mm. All right, sober curious, y'all, is the book. <laughs> and yes. I've also read your other book too, which oh, was cool. so good. So I can't wait to read this one. Um, okay, where can our lovely community connect with you? Where can they find you? Well, Instagram, of course, mm-hmm. although I have quite straight, I moderate my Instagram use. Good for <laughs> you. Yeah. So, but I, I'm there as um, the numinous, but I also reinstated my personal one recently so I could talk more about my sober curious stuff at Ruby Warrington. Mm-hmm. Um, thenuminous.com is my website, the numinous.com, and I have a great newsletter. I'm so proud of it. Actually, I was really happy in my experience last, my imposter syndrome situation last night was when we got to the Q&A, the first question was a woman sitting in the front row and she was just like, I just want to tell you how much I love your newsletter. It's like the only thing I stay subscribed to and I look forward to it every week. And I was like, Wow. You're like, did you guys on the panel hear that? (laughs) She loves my newsletter. I do some good stuff. Like I do know what I'm doing. (laughs) But anyway, the newsletter is, I'm really proud of it. So you can subscribe to that in the link tree on Instagram or on the website. Great. 
Perfect. Let's get in the group and let's talk about doing a sober month. You can kind of like be there for one another to work through, Mm. you know, any thoughts or feelings that come up, but I would love to do that with y'all. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here, honey. Thank you for having me. She's in her sparkle, like top. I was like, oh, of course she is. Little little moon baby. (laughs) So cute. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We love you guys. We'll see you later. Bye. Thanks so much, Rube. Love you, Rube. Thank you, Ruby Warrington. The book is Sober Curious. It is a great read. I've read it and you can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Yeah, it's a really great one. Um, And just a reminder, if you guys want to order your favorite Food delivery. I've been a Postmates girl. Ooh, I, you've you've seen it. I've been Postmating a lot. I know. I, ha- I have seen I'm it. Trying to save my prefrontal cortex from making too many decisions. Honestly, and I've been Postmating sweet green a lot. I zero percent apologize ever when I, I love Postmates. when I do that. I know it's it's really vital if you want to get more shit done. Um, but Postmates, just as a reminder, is giving our listeners one hundred dollars of free delivery credit for your first seven days um, to start your free deliveries. Download the app right now. And then you can use the code almost 30. So that's code almost 30 for $100 of free delivery and credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Enjoy. It's the best. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening. You are our best friends. Um, You inspire what we do every single day and we can't wait to meet you on the road. All right. Love you. Love you.